Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. My name is Bradley Hamilton. I'm the student pastor here, and I am so incredibly excited for our next few moments together. But I thought I would start by sharing about a time where I almost ruined my engagement to my now wife, Jamie. Uh, About two, we've been married two years come this Wednesday. And uh, so I know I'm just as surprised that she's with me as you are, but uh, we've been married about two years. And when we were engaged, um, I took us on a date that might have ruined my engagement. I, uh, I do this thing where I plan surprise dates for my wife. And most of the time, those go really great. I don't tell her where we're going or what we're doing. I uh, guess at what to wear, and that's got me in trouble sometimes, girls, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I've tried to plan these surprise dates where, you know, I just sweep her off her feet and I plan something amazing. And so I had this idea when we were engaged to plan a, kind of an adventurous date. This day I had seen someone else do, and I thought this would be great. Like, my wife's pretty adventurous, and so we'll try this. And so I had this big plan to go spelunking. If you've never heard of spelunking, it's where you actually crawl through a natural cave. So you get all muddy and dirty, and you crawl down into a mountain all through a cave in these tight spaces and these rivers. And so I got to be honest, I was a little freaked out. Because I know that it's tight, tight spaces, and it's, I d- didn't know what to expect. I'd never done this before. But my wife is one of the bravest people I've ever met. And so she's been, like, swimming with sharks, and she's done all kind of crazy things. And so I thought, surely she will love this, and she'll help me be more brave through the process. And so I didn't tell her what we were doing, and I just said, hey, it's about an hour drive, and wear something you can get messy in. So wear, like, jeans and a, and a raggedy T-shirt and So we get in the car and we're on the way and I'm thinking like this is like award-winning fiance moment. And we're on the way there and she's guessing what it could be. And she's guessing things like, could it be horseback riding, which is a great guess because we were kind of dressed for that. And she's like, is it hiking? And I said, no. And as we get closer and closer to this mountain that we will soon descend into, we're about 10 minutes away. And she looks at me with the most serious tone and says, it better not be anything in a cave. And so I looked at her and said, well, why, why would that be bad? And she said, I have this horrible fear of tight spaces. News to me, right? And it was at this moment I learned that not only is that like her one fear, but that's like her biggest fear. And I'm about to throw her into a tiny space where she can't escape in the dark. And so I have to admit, like, hey, that's, that actually is what we're doing. And I'm not kidding you. I saw her turn a shade of white that I have never seen again in my life. I mean, she was petrified. She kind of locked down. And then we had kind of this fight because I'm, like, feeling all sad because I had planned this great date and thought it was going to be awesome. My expectations were here, and that is not what I got. And so we're kind of processing through all of this. And so I say, okay, let's just go talk to them because we're parked at this point. We've already driven the hour. We're looking at where we start. So I thought, let's just go talk to them. Let's run through the questions. And I think, I think we can do this. 
And so reluctantly she agrees and we go and talk to the tour guide and he actually shows us a table that we get under and says, this will be the smallest space that you're in, which again as a table does not quite compare to when you're actually in the cave. And he says, everything's gonna be fine. Here's all of your gear. Here's all the safety information. You will be okay. And so after a little bit, we agree that we're gonna try it and we're gonna do this. And the first thing we get to is how you get into the cave. And because there's no elevator escalator to take you down there, I brought a picture to show you. Here's actually what happens to get down into the cave. It's, it's a little stretched out, but what you can see is all down is just floors that you scoot down in on your butt. And stories later, you reach the bottom of this cave. And then once you're inside, you're crawling through mud, you're crawling through rivers, you're crawling through spaces. And I brought another picture that can kind of, of show what that looks like. Again, a little stretched out, I'm not quite that wide, but what you can see is that inside these spaces, I mean, it was incredible. And it was intense at times, and there were moments that we weren't sure about, but once you get in there, it didn't, you kind of forgot how far down you were, you forgot how dark it was, you forgot what you were really doing, and you were really just amazed at what was around you. And then it was all worth it in the end, because here's kind of the final scene you can see as we got inside. I mean, it was breathtaking. And the stuff we got to see, the fact that that's there in nature, in a cave that people drive over every day, like I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And there was this one moment where we got to stop and ask questions. And someone asked a great question. They said, how do you not get lost in here? People who do this for a living and travel these caves, how do you not get completely lost? Because at this point, everything looked the same. It was completely dark. We had taken all of these different trails. And if it was left up to me to an untrained eye, I would not be able to make it back out of this cave. And so I thought their question was a good question. How do you not get lost when you're in an environment like this? And that's when the tour guide said, actually, that's a great question because we have a number one rule in caving. He says, if you don't get any other rule, this is the number one rule. He said, you never go alone. You never go alone. Because this is why a lot of cavers get in a lot of trouble because they get lost, they can't find their way back, they run out of supplies, and they never get out. And it happens often. He says, so that's why there is a rule of you never go alone. And then he says, not only should you not go alone, but you should go with someone who has been there before. He said, I never do a new route, I never do a new cave unless I'm with someone who has been there before. Why? Because they've seen the turns, they've seen the routes. They've, uh, they've understood this cave before. Maybe they've made mistakes and almost gotten lost and know where to go next. So if you can go with someone who has been there before, you will avoid getting lost. You will avoid mistakes. And I remember hearing this, and it's true about caving, but for me, I realize it's true about life too, isn't it? As we enter into spaces that are unknown, as we step into things where we don't know where to go, maybe we're lost, maybe it's dark, and we can't find our way out. Sometimes a saving grace is another person who has been there before, who can come alongside of you and say, hey, I've taken this turn. I've been in this cave. I've been lost like you. And let me come alongside of you and show you the way out. This morning, I wanna talk about the next generation coming up behind us. And I know you're going, Bradley, you're the student guy. Of course, you're talking about this next generation. And listen, this is very personal to me. But what I wanna talk about is how I think it should be personal for all of us. And I think that we actually have a very big call on us as the church, regardless of your age, 
regardless of your life stage, regardless of your season, regardless of your skill set. I think that we all have a role to play with, with the coming generation, and it's easier than you might think to make an investment. Because I really believe that for so many of us who had people who came alongside of us and said, I have been there before, let me go with you, that we have a generation who is in desperate need of that. And we can be the answer for so many who are walking and navigating this darkness cave of life. And for many of us, we might be the answer to a student in need. In fact, I wanna start by sharing some discouraging stats. I follow Barna Group as a research study and what they're finding right now with this generation of teens is incredibly discouraging because they're seeing trends in a lot of directions. They're seeing increased suicide rates. They're seeing increased depression rates. They're seeing an increase in addiction, including online addictions, which is a whole new category. They're seeing increasing bullying and a growing trend toward biblical illiteracy. And if I'm gonna be honest, as a student pastor, and many of you are probably even hearing those feeling the same way, it is very easy to hear that and become hopeless. It is very easy to hear that and just check out and go, this generation, that's just, that's where they're headed. That's all that's there for them. And, and I can't really make a difference. I can't make an impact. And so we, short, we sort of check out and cash it in and we feel hopeless in that spot. And maybe you're in the room and that's kind of where you've been with this younger generation. But there was a study done by Harvard that has just blown me away and given me so much encouragement. And can I be honest? It's kind of why I've continued in student ministry. Because this study from Harvard, they wanted to look at the most successful people in life and what got them there. But not only the most successful people, they wanted to see the most successful people who had come from the worst of circumstances. And so they looked at people who had started off in poverty or in the foster care system or under abuse situations. And they wanted to figure out how did they get from here to there? What are the key factors in someone's life that will take them from a horrible situation to thriving and success in life? And they thought if we can figure out a few key factors, then we can help replicate those in people who need it. And we can help create successful people. And they found all kinds of answers across the board. But there was one that was in every single case they studied. One factor in every single story that led someone from a situation where they were hurting and broken to a situation of success. And that one factor was a single, caring, and supportive adult. Every story, they had one person who went out of their way to invest into their life. They had one person who came alongside of them and said, I've been here before, let me walk this out with you. And this thrilled me so much to, this is why I designed student ministry the way that I do. I wanna partner every student with a caring, supportive adult who can step in and say, I've been there, let's do this together. Because that factor alone will change the trajectory of a life. I get to see this all the time in student ministry. I had a seventh grader one year and they were kind of on the, the fence of whether or not to make their relationship with Jesus their life or give up on the church altogether. They weren't really sure if church was for them and they had discovered some other things in middle school and maybe that was the route they wanted to take. And so they weren't really sure which way they wanted to go and it was a, a summer camp that they attended. They, there were some friends going and some cute girls and so they thought, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. So they went to a church summer camp, but it was at this summer camp where they met their small group leader, Dan. And Dan, for whatever reason, continued to just invest in the student. 
continued to see potential. This student didn't always listen. He didn't always behave. He wasn't there for the right reasons. And yet Dan continued to love on him, to invest in him, to support him. And so as camp ended, this student decided, I'm still trying to figure this out, but I want to keep a relationship with Dan. And so he continued to meet with Dan. And then he continued to attend church with Dan. And Dan taught him how to pray and read the Bible. And it was through this relationship, ultimately, that that this kid would come to know Jesus. And this kid would give his entire life to Jesus. And fast forward a little bit, this kid would actually decide to go into ministry. And who did he call? Dan. And this kid continued to just grow and meet with Dan and get married and have a kid on the way. And as a pastor today, I owe so much of my life to that small group leader, Dan, who invested and saw something in me. It's one caring adult. The answer to these stats of discouragement for the next generation, it's you. And it's me. And it's us deciding that we aren't just gonna let a generation stumble around in a cave lost, but that we're gonna step in and say, hey, I've, I've been there before. Now, here's the thing. I think that this message, I wanna give us just three ways to invest in the next generation. And I know it's easy to hear this and write this off because maybe you don't have kids or maybe you feel like you're not in the right stage of life, but I just wanna tell you that these three things all of us can do. Every single one of us can do this. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. In fact, as I read through the three of these, I would just encourage you, will you think of how you can apply this? For some of you, maybe it's your kids. Maybe you are literally raising the next generation in your household. For some of you, it's your grandkids because you have an influential voice in the next generation. For some of you, you don't have kids, but you have a church family that believes in kids and students and they can use you. For some of you, it's just your neighborhood or your community. There are individuals all around us who are in this next generation and every single one of us can make a difference. And so I just wanna give us three really quick things. And we're gonna see this through the relationship of a guy named Paul and a guy named Timothy. And Paul, you've probably heard of before, especially if you grew up in church. He's kind of known as the greatest church planter of all time. He wrote most of the right half of your Bible, the New Testament. And these are letters that he wrote to different churches that he's leading and planting and growing but there's a couple of letters that you have in your New Testament in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy that are letters that he wrote to a guy named Timothy who was of the generation behind him. And because he realized that it wasn't just enough to kind of live my life and pursue Jesus and, and help people grow, but he knew that his time would come to an end and that there was another generation to come and that he could store up all of his talents and gifts or he could do something with them and leverage them for the next generation. And so he begins to pour into this guy, Timothy. And Paul was a guy, if you know anything about him, his past wasn't always a great church planter. In fact, he used to murder Christians. That was his pursuit in life. And so he meets Jesus after Jesus died, which would make any of us kind of reevaluate our life circumstances. And so he kind of reevaluates his life and he begins to pursue after Jesus. And so he could have said, my past is just mine. Let's forget about it. Let's not worry about that. But instead, he actually uses his past. And as he plants churches and meets with leaders like Timothy. He walks them through his dark caves in hopes that they would avoid his same mistakes. And so we see this relationship develop between Paul and Timothy, and I'm so incredibly thankful that we have these two letters 
in our New Testament. But I just want to point out a couple of verses that you can see their relationship and three things that we all can do. Here's the first thing every single one of us can do to invest in the next generation. It's our words. A way you can invest in the next generation is with your words. We see this in 1 Timothy 4.12 as Paul is writing to Timothy, and here's what he said. I love this verse. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, imagine for a second that you're Timothy. And you are taking on a brand new role as a church planter. And there aren't conferences to go to to learn how to do this. You can't connect with North Point and have them walk you through their model. You are learning a lot of this as they go. The church is brand new. The church is just growing. There are very few leaders in this space. And to top it all off, you are a young leader. People are looking down on you. Who are you to be a pastor of this movement? And then you look to guys like Paul who are in kind of front of you and and they've been so successful. They've been great. And so you're kind of taking their place. I can't imagine the pressures that Timothy was stepping into. And yet I believe one of the reasons he was successful is because of words like this spoken over to him by Paul. It's because of a guy like Paul to speak that much life into him. For a guy like Paul who he looked up to to look at him and say, you can do this. Don't let people look down on you. You have got this. I believe that for Timothy, this was the fuel of so much of his success in church planting. Church, your words are powerful. You know that. There's a saying that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never, what is it? Hurt me. Is that not the dumbest statement that's ever been created? Because you know words do hurt. Words shape. Words form. There are things that you actually are dealing with maybe right now that happened on the playground in middle school because of a word spoken over you. Words form and shape who you are, but not only do they hurt, words are also powerful enough to do good. Words can shape and form in the positive direction in the generation below us. And too many of us, when we speak about this generation, come on, I'm just going to be honest with you. I feel like we're close enough that I can do that. I hear too many negative things about the generation behind us. And I hear statements that keep me up at night. Because we look at that generation and we think they're lazy, they're immature, they're always on their phones. And some things just because we don't understand them, we want to judge them for it. And what if, what if? this generation were to step down and begin to start speaking life into the generation that's coming up? What if we were to decide that our words were powerful enough to shape and help and encourage and we begin to leverage a very easy resource that we have to love the students behind us? I think we would see courage in this generation like never before. I think we would see growth in that generation like never before. And so I know it's easy to kind of fall into the space where we just speak negative words, but what if we believed our words were powerful? What if we lived like Paul and spoke life into them? Now, here's what I get all the time when I talk about this, and I understand it. Adults come up to me and they say, yeah, but Bradley, students don't want to talk to me, right? They don't want to hear from me. They don't listen. And so we don't really have a dialogue going. And and I get that. But I also think we have to realize that students, they're just a little scared to talk to you. And because of their experience and getting some negative feedback and some people who aren't safe people, they just want to know that you're a safe person. 
And so sometimes it takes some time in building a relationship to make sure that they can trust you and that they can open up to you. And so I honestly would not expect a student day one to just open up to me about their life. No, it might take some time. It might take some investment. They have had too many bad roads when it came to talking to adults. And so they just need some safe people around them. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that on the way out, you go and corner a student in the corner of the lobby and say like, tell me about your life. Like that's gonna scare them, okay? Don't do that. But who is someone younger to you that you can start to engage with? Who is someone? Maybe it's your neighbor that you see mowing the lawn every week. Maybe it's a student that you see serving every single Sunday here. Who is someone that's younger than you? Maybe your kids, maybe your grandkids, maybe your nephews. Who is someone that you can begin to just start the conversation with, start engaging with? And not just to say, learn from me, but maybe there's something you can learn from them too. A, a pastor friend of mine in Atlanta always used to say this, conversation about anything leads to conversation about everything. And so maybe just ask them how their day was. Maybe just begin a conversation about their favorite video game or a TikTok, even though you don't know what that is. And just begin to engage and build a relationship there. The first thing we can give is our words. Here's the second thing. The second way to invest is through our resources. Students and kids don't have so many other resources that we are just used to having that we are blessed with. In fact, you see this happen in the relationship between Paul and Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14. He's reminding him of this. He says, what you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus and guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So I look at this relationship between Paul and Timothy and I realize that Paul has deposited a lot into Timothy's life. Paul again and again will remind Timothy, remember I gave you that, remember I told you about that, remember I passed this off to you, now I want you to do something with what I've given you. Paul had a pattern in his life of depositing to the next generation. And too many of us want to hold on to everything that we have and keep it for ourselves when there is something powerful that it can do in the life of someone coming up behind us. So we have to be willing and ready to give of our resources to the generation coming up behind us. Now, when I say that, a lot of us think financial resources, and that is a piece of this, but it's not everything. It is a piece of it because financial resources do help the younger generations who maybe don't have access to all of that. In fact, here's what's amazing about this church. When you give here, you are tangibly giving of your resources to help students and kids. Right now, that Halloween party that's happening out there, that's like so much fun, we should all probably just leave and go take part in that. Like, that is happening because of you giving your resources. You're investing. You are depositing. On Wednesday, we have an amazing student program, and I don't just say that because I'm the student pastor, but it really is incredible. And we're getting to see life change happen in students every single week as we partner them with caring adults. And all of that happens because of you depositing resources. So it absolutely can be financial. I had a student who every year for camp, he, he didn't have a ton. And so we had to sponsor him each year to go to camp. And so every year we would help raise money because we wanted him there and he wanted to be there. And it was his favorite time of the year. And so we would help raise his sponsorship every single year from people in the church, just like you, who just said, I want to deposit into the next generation. 
And so he went to camp every single year. I got to watch him grow as a Christ follower, an incredible young man of God. And then he graduates. He starts his own business. He becomes incredibly successful. And every single year, he tops himself now on how many kids he can sponsor for camp. And it overwhelms me as he, is our number, he was our number one sponsor of the church I was previously at of kids every single year. Why? Because it was given to him. Here's the other thing about depositing into the next generation. When you give to the next generation, it yields more than you give. And you actually begin a pattern of generosity that will transform not just their life, but lives that they transform as well. And so financially, that is a huge piece of it. It can also be material. I can't tell you how many homes that we have done student ministry events in and backyards and basements and Some of you just love to host and you have the resources and the space. And so you have been giving of that for a generation coming up behind you. It can just be material. I knew this mom who she had a minivan and uh, holla for minivans. We got some minivan fans out there. We we have our first on the way, so I'm fighting the minivan trend hard, but who knows when that'll happen. Um, She had a minivan and she only had a couple of students who who was in our student program. And so... Every week she decided, well, there's all these seats and I'm only dropping off my two kids. So she started, I'm not kidding you, a a bus route where she would drive through the neighborhood and pick up her kids' friends. And every time a kid would hear about, oh, so-and-so, you should come. Well, I don't have a ride. Well, they would drive out of their way to pick up kids. And so every week it was the most amazing thing. This minivan would pull up and just like unload nine kids we've never seen before out of this van. And there was one that they started bringing and he would come back every single week and it was the coolest thing. He just loved our church. His family was completely unchurched. They didn't really get the Christian thing. Through him deciding to follow Christ, we built an amazing relationship with his family and, and just a really cool story I wish I could go on and on about. But here's the important thing. At his baptism, they talked about all of the influences in his life and the student ministry and how great it was and the friends he met and the small group leader and the messages and, and all that's true. I knew that it started with that mom and her minivan. With that mom who decided, I have something that I can deposit. I have something that I can give. And I know that she tangibly had an impact on generations to come because of her willingness to deposit what she had. I think too often we think of this as so lofty and so big, like I have to save the world and and be a student pastor. And all of us can do something to impact a life. It can also be connections. Too often this is something that we take for granted that we have relational connection that students just don't have. And so it might not be you that can fill a need, but you probably know someone. When student ministry or kids ministry talks about a need, it might not be one that you can fill, but you might be connected to someone who can. And just by sharing our connections and rallying other people's talents, we can impact the lives of students and kids. Uh, There was this mom and she was a public school teacher and in a school that was, didn't have a ton of resources, was incredibly under-resourced. And she had this dream to take her students to a Christian camp. And it sounded crazy, and she wasn't sure what to do with that, but she just wanted all of her kids to be able to, to be in a Christian environment like she had seen at church. And so she just began talking to the school board and talking to parents and talking to principals and talking to teachers. And somehow, I mean, just God just blessed this so much, but she actually was allowed to begin to do this. And she would come to our church and and raise funds to take a bus every year. And it was all of these different people all investing in this to happen. But she ended up taking 50 students to this Christian camp. And every single one accepted Christ. 
Every single one. She's now gone back year after year after year. There are partners involved. There are other teachers taking place in this. This wasn't a student pastor. It was a teacher who decided, I want to do something. I want to leverage these connections and these people I know to try and invest more in the next generation. The third thing we see, and I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. You're not going to understand why, but I'll explain it. In 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5, we see this kind of side note conversation between Paul and Timothy. And Paul says this, I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that now lives in you. I love this. He's writing this public letter, and he says, we've spent a lot of time together. I remember when you cried. I remember all these things about your life. Also, shout out to Granny Lois. Shout out to your mom, Eunice. Don't miss this. There was something about their relationship that didn't happen overnight, but it took time. He had spent time with Timothy. The third way that you can invest in the generation below you is through your time. We have time to give. Now, time is difficult because it's probably our most valuable resource. But it's also one of the most powerful when we give it away to other people. As I look at this relationship between Paul and Timothy, I realize he's been praying for him regularly. He's been thinking about him. He's been recalling moments. He has spent time with Timothy. Now, this could look different ways. Maybe this looks like serving in our kids and student ministries. And many of you are doing that. You are giving up your mornings, your nights to come and to serve a generation coming up behind you and to give of your time and to be a present, encouraging voice in their life. And that's one way you can give of your time. But maybe it also just looks like slowing down to notice the students around you, the kids around you, to pray for them, to encourage them, to be present. It's so easy to, to get into our church mode and come in and out and we're passing another generation and we just ignore them. And we feel like, well, they're not really worth my time. These people are, and we just dismiss a generation who is in desperate need of the deposit that you can give by just giving your time. The ways to invest in the next generation are words, resources, and time. It's that simple. It doesn't take a ton. Just a little bit of investment from you, you can be the one supportive, caring adult that will change the trajectory of a student's life. There was one moment in the cave where there was a pretty tricky situation. It was the tightest space in the whole thing, and they said this one for some may be difficult. And it looked like there was no way a human body could ever go through that. And so one by one, they kind of coached us through it. You had to like put your hands in first and like pull yourself through and not gonna lie, for many of you right now, you're feeling what I was feeling of that like tension of can we do that? And I don't consider myself a very fearful person, but then I was afraid. And we, my wife and I were the last of our tour group to go through because we wanted to see if anyone else would die first. And so <laughs> we watched them all go through. And 
the tour guide at the end could tell we were kind of stepping back and nervous and waiting. And he looked at me and he said, trust me, you can do it. I thought, no, you do it, you know? He said, no, I know you can do it because I have done it. And he goes, I'm taller than you. I'm a lot bigger than you. And he was. He said, I've been through that. And I came out the other side. And so even though it looks scary, I know you can because I did. And for whatever reason, that gave us the confidence to go, okay, I guess we can do that. And so we did. And I just think there's so many who need just that statement from us. There are kids that we're raising. There are grandkids around us. There are kids in our church, in our community. There are students in our church who just need someone to say, I've been there. It looks scary. It looks like you won't make it. And I can't tell you anything other than I have been there and I know you can too. We say this a lot here, but we do this because this is a command of Jesus. He's with his guys at the end and he knows his time is short and he looks at them and says, this will be the future of the church. This is the movement. This is how you take what I have deposited and carried on as I have loved you. So you must love one another. It's as simple as that. And he says, you go out and you love others. You do this because I have done this for you. And I look at Jesus, someone who deposited so much to us, who gave of his life, who gave of his time, who gave of everything he had so that you and I could be made right with God, set free and have our past removed forever. And because we get to live in that, we then get to love our neighbor like Jesus loved us. And too often we just think, well, it's our mature neighbor, our older neighbor, our has it all together and doesn't say stupid things neighbor. But it's also our infant neighbor and our toddler neighbor and our middle school neighbor and our high school. Are they gonna get their life together and go to college and who, what's gonna happen to them neighbor? And so as we close out, I just want us to think, what's, who's that one person? Who's that one that we can love because Jesus loved us? This was personal to Jesus and it should be personal to us. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for all that you give to us. I thank you for the things that we take for granted that we don't see all the time, the connections you've given us, the ways that you've blessed us, the ways you've blessed us financially, materially, God, I pray that right now we could begin to think, how do I deposit this? How do I leverage this for those behind me? And God, I pray right now you would place on every single heart, every single mind, a student, a kid, a young adult that we can begin to invest in. And God, I pray that the story of many lives later would be that my life was changed by someone at Centerpoint Church. My life was changed by an adult, a caring, supportive adult, changed the trajectory of my life because of someone at CC. God, I pray that that testimony is what we begin to hear in the next generation. 
So God, move in this moment. Use us in a big way. In these next few moments, we just continue to sing your praise. It's your name I pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.